0: If you read through the Bible or been to church, you probably heard the term covenant before and that with Jesus, there's a new covenant. So what does that mean and why is it so important? Well, we're going to find out today. Hey, today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 22 verses 7 through 20. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Okay, so this is the setting of today's text. We're entering into a celebration called Passover. And in case you don't know what that is, if you were a Jew living in Israel 2,000 years ago, which is when this story takes place, you would be celebrating this very feast along with every other Jew in town. You see, 1,200 years ago before this takes place, you know that your ancestors called the Israelites were slaves under Pharaoh you cry out day and night to God to come rescue you. And then one day he sends a guy by the name of Moses. Now Moses, he walks in to the throne room of Pharaoh and demands that he let his people go. But every single time Pharaoh says, no, absolutely not. So God, seeing how stubborn Pharaoh was, he kept on sending these plagues. You're probably familiar with some of those plagues like frogs, invasion, flies, locusts, sores, hail, fire, darkness. Yeah, none of that works. Sometimes, not even the worst case scenario could change a person's heart. So reluctantly, God says, here's the final blow. We're gonna take the life of the firstborn of all of Egypt. But if you don't wanna be a part of that, I have some instructions for you. So through Moses, God instructs the people of Egypt, then what you need to do is you need to get a lamb or a goat and kill it. With the blood of that animal, paint around the front door of your house and take that animal that you killed cook it and eat it that night. And then he instructs his people to make some bread. But you know, bread takes a long time to make because after you knead through the dough, you have to watch the bread rise. So God tells him to make the unleavened bread version, which you don't watch it rise, it becomes like a little cracker. And then that night, the angel of death came over Egypt and took the life of every firstborn child, except for the ones with blood on the post of the door. And because of that tragedy, Pharaoh let God's people go that day. And so began this journey out of Egypt, through the desert, and to become the nation that they are today. And so you, along with every other Jew 2,000 years ago, would celebrate this feast as if it's the most holy day of the entire year. It's a reminder of how God saved you from slavery. So that's the setting. This is the day before Passover. This is the day people make preparations for the big feast they're about to partake in. So let's continue. Verse 8. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. And so Jesus sends two guys out of his group to go and prep for the festival, which is completely normal back then. But first they have to find a location. So that's why in verse nine, this is what the disciples ask. Where do you want us to prepare for it? Jesus replied, as you enter into the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Now that's not a common sight because usually women carried water. So it would have been fairly easy for the disciples to pick out the guy that Jesus was talking about. Follow him into the house he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now notice so far in the text that we read that they used the word prepare or preparations at least three times already. This is Luke's way of saying that to Jesus, preparing for this special meal was a big deal. So if you were Peter or John, this is what you would do. You would walk into the city and you'll find a person who's selling a lamb. And you'll buy that lamb, take that lamb to the temple, and have the priest there slaughter it. The way they celebrated this feast was by reliving the same thing that their ancestors went through. So they had the lamb that was slaughtered. They cooked that lamb and ate it with bitter herbs. Now the bitter herbs was there to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. And then they'll bake and eat some unleavened bread because they wanted to be reminded that they were in haste. They had to leave Egypt right away. They saw the blood of the lamb that was painted on the door as a symbol of their freedom from slavery. And instead of painting the blood of a lamb on the door of their front door, what they would do is they'll drink wine. The wine represented the blood of the lamb. And every time you partake in this meal, you'll reminded of how God rescued you from slavery in the past and that he'll continue to rescue you in the future. Now, the reason why Jesus sent his disciples to prep for the sacred meal is because he really wanted them to remember what this is all about. He didn't want them to forget what God has done for their ancestors. Now, if you know the Exodus story really well, then you'll note that, that God didn't just rescue them out of slavery that while God was pulling them out of Egypt into the desert towards a promised land, God was also prepping them to become a nation that will eventually rescue the entire world. So as you're reading through the book of Exodus, you'll see that in the middle of the story, there's this thing called a covenant. A covenant is basically a contract. Now for the next few minutes, I'm gonna nerd out a little bit and you won't be tested on this, but please pay attention. God basically says, because I rescued you out of slavery, I wanna make a contract with you. You see, I have a plan for this world, a plan that's gonna save the entire world, but I need a group of people to carry it out for me. So how would you like to enter into a contract with me? You see, when it comes to covenants, there's actually at least three different types of covenants in the ancient world. The first one's called the Bilateral Parity Treaty or BPT. Think of this as like a business contract. When two people who are equal make a deal, it's a BPT. So party A would say, hey, this is something I could offer you. And party B would say, well, I could offer you this in exchange. And they shake their hands and they make a deal. Two equal groups making a deal with each other. Now, the deal that God made with the Israelites was not a BPT, because clearly one was greater than the other. It wasn't an equal deal. The second kind of covenant is called a bilateral suzerainty treaty or BST. Not to be mistaken for BTS. This is when one party is clearly greater than the other, like a king and a servant. Think of a time when you were a teenager and you're asking your parents for the car. They'll tell you, you can have the keys, but you have to be back at a certain time, make sure that the car is parked properly, make sure you set the mirrors correctly. They set the terms because they are the greater of the two. And so the the covenant that God entered in with the Israelites was the BST. God has a plan for the world. He wants to bless the entire world. He wants to fix the entire world. But I'm looking for people who are willing to partner with me. So here's the deal. I'll take care of you and I'll bless you if you follow my rules and stick to the plan. Well, what are God's rules? Well, from the middle of Exodus all the way to the end of the book of Deuteronomy are all his rules. Now, there's a third type of covenant called the promissory covenant, which we'll get into later. All right, let's go on to verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He says, I really was looking forward to this meal for I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? He's basically saying, this is a great meal. I've been looking forward to this, but the next time I have a meal with you, We're gonna be living in a completely different era. The world's gonna be completely different. To which the disciple says, really Jesus? By the next time we have a meal together, this world's gonna be completely different? What are you talking about? Well, let's keep reading. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Again, Jesus makes this mention of, hey, the next time we drink together, it's gonna be a totally different world. You could imagine by now, his disciples are scratching their heads thinking, what is Jesus talking about? Verse 19, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. So imagine yourself at this table, you're about to reach for that bread and you're about to take a bite when you realize, did he just say what I thought he said? What does he mean that this bread is his body? Now, the meal is already strange because of the things that Jesus said, right? Well, it's about to get even weirder and even borderline offensive in the next verse. Do this in remembrance of... Now, at that point, the disciples are thinking, I know what this is in remembrance of, Jesus. We just went through the whole process. This is, this is in remembrance of what God did for our ancestors rescuing us from Egypt. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you are a Jew, this is the part in the story where you would drop everything, get up, and leave the meal, because this is offensive. This is kind of like if I made an announcement in December saying, Hey, in a few weeks we're going to be celebrating Christmas, so we're going to be singing some Christmas songs, we're going to be bringing some gifts, we're going to have a potluck, but not in remembrance of Jesus being born 2000 years ago. We're doing this in remembrance of my birth. We're gonna change the lyrics of all the songs so it's about baby cots and not baby Jesus. Now, while that may offend most of you, and I hope it does, it offended the Jews even more than that. Jesus is making a claim here that says that he's equally as important as God. The disciples should have said something like, Jesus, you can't make this feast about you. You can't just flippantly change the meaning of something we've been doing for 1,200 years. But Jesus isn't done yet. Verse 20, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is, the disciples would say, hold up, Jesus. We all know what this cup stands for. We've been taught since we were little boys that this cup is a representation of the awesome covenant that God made with us. We were a bunch of slaves. We had nothing going for us. And then God adopted us and we've been blessed by him ever since. Then Jesus says, hold up. I didn't finish my sentence yet. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, you seeing this happen, and you're sitting at the table with his disciples, you're aware of the culture back then. You see, in the Old Testament, there's this prophet by the name of Jeremiah, and he predicted that there will be a new covenant one day. Jeremiah basically says, this new covenant is gonna be better than the present bilateral suzerainty treaty covenant. Now, if you read on, what you'll discover is that this new covenant that Jesus is talking about falls under the third category of covenants. It's called the promissory covenant. So, so what is that? A promissory covenant is when one party says, I will make a deal with you even if you don't do your part. Regardless of your involvement, I will do my best to fulfill my end of the deal. My commitment to you is unconditional. The new covenant is God saying, I will love you, bless you, take care of you, regardless of your response. And as a matter of fact, just a few minutes after Jesus finishes making this speech, one of the 12 leaves the meal and betrays Jesus. And just a few minutes after that, the rest of the 12, they desert Jesus. And a few hours after that, the very people that Jesus set out to save, well, they betray him by accusing him of committing a crime that he didn't have any part of. And a few hours after that, the group of people who warmly greeted him as he was entering in on Palm Sunday are now hurling insults and throwing rocks at him. And then a few minutes after that, they strip him of his clothes, they hang him on a pole naked, putting him to shame in front of all the people who are entering to Jerusalem and to demonstrate the power of this new covenant. Do you know what Jesus said after all these things were done to him? He says, "Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing." His love for humanity, not just Israel now, but for humanity is unconditional. Now, in the ancient world, covenants were not taken lightly. It was so important that when they were to cut a deal, they made sure that some kind of blood was involved. Now, this specific deal, this covenant, that was between God and humanity was such a big deal that it was sealed with the blood of the Son of God. You see, this transition from the old covenant to the new covenant was a huge deal. It changed the way that humans related to God. So this is what Jesus meant. The next time we're gonna have a meal together, everything's gonna be different. God will relentlessly chase after you, pursue you, so that He can move you from darkness to light. Now, a few months after the story of this Last Supper takes place, a new group of people formed called the church. And the people of this church were called Christians. Now, these people lived under the new covenant. They basically said, the way that Jesus loved us unconditionally, well, I'm gonna live the rest of my life committed to loving other people in the way that He loved me. Regardless of how you treat me, I will choose to love you. Regardless of how much it may cost me, I will choose to love you. And in some circles, they had a term for that, and that was called a living sacrifice. In essence, that means I will commit the rest of my life to sacrificing myself for the sake of the other. You see, this new covenant ushered in a brand new way of relating to God, and because of that, the way we relate to other people. You see, the new covenant is God's way of saying, what I intended to do for the world through the Israelites, which didn't work out, I'm now gonna go and do through the church. I'm gonna unconditionally bless and take care of you. And for that reason, I want you to go and do the same for the people around you. And this is why when we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, we discover that in the New Testament, there's many, many more martyrs, people who are willing to sacrifice themselves for the well-being of other people. This is also why comparing to the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see a lot more generous people in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of examples of rules that we have to follow in the New Testament, we see examples of people's lives being transformed. So it all makes sense now, doesn't it? Why Jesus says, the next time I partake in a meal like this, the world will be completely different. So church, may your hearts be deeply rooted in the new covenant that Jesus demonstrated for us. And may you go out and love the world sacrificially in the same way that Jesus sacrificially loved you and be a living sacrifice. And may we all experience heaven together. God bless you.